0: Daily with Jason Martitas. And welcome to another brand new episode of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. I hope everybody is well. I hope everybody is coping okay uh, with the end of a season and, and the way it ended. I found myself um in day two after after the game I I, I was angry, but I feel like Waking up on Sunday, I was angrier. <laughs> Maybe that's uh, just frustration building and how it ended. Uh, in, in and obviously, after a game, I'm doing the post game show, then the podcast, it's pretty busy. Uh, but waking up uh, on Sunday was uh, a, a lot of reality that the season is over and, and hopefully the regular season starts again on December 1st, which the NHL and the critical dates calendar uh, put out when they originally had the return to play. Uh, But uh, even though there's hockey to be watched, I still wanted the ride to go on. We didn't want to get off the roller coaster, and we didn't want to get off it that way, Um, basically running to a trash can to vomit uh, based on Game 7. But that is, in fact, what happened, and there's a lot to break down. And we're going to do a two-part episode here. Uh, You're going to get the first part in this one uh, of Twitter questions with myself and Bill Meltzer. And uh, I put a solicitation out on my Twitter handle, at Jason Mert, for questions for this episode. And we've got so many that we're going to tackle them all over a couple of episodes. So without further ado here is my conversation with Twitter questions part one with NHL insider Bill Meltzer. Joining us on Flyers Daily uh, as kind of a post-mortem if you will is uh, NHL.com, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com and HockeyBuzz.com writer and Flyers insider Bill Meltzer. Uh, Bill we're taping this uh, the day after. Uh, What's your kind of impression as you you lifted your head off the pillow this morning? What, What was the kind of uh, your your mood and kind of uh, take away as you woke up today?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I, I'm not, as we're recording this at the point yet where you're taking the big, big picture of the season. You know, I'm still pretty disappointed about game seven. Um, there was just, you know, you, you, can, you can accept the loss. Um, I, it was really a, a pretty disheartening kind of loss after you battle back that far to get it to a game seven. You know, I mean, I think you can look at the bigger picture that the season certainly was a success it came one one win away from getting to a conference final for the first time in 10 years as far as the flyers have gotten since, since that point you know they do a game 7 of a second series so you know steps forward uh, i mean ultimately the flyers really never got back to where they to where they were before the before the pause uh, it, it looked like it looked like in the round robin that they might um, you know the montreal series was was a struggle and certainly the islander series was a struggle um, and you can look at, you know, what went into the, the coming back and looking, you know, ahead. But I think that when you look at the game itself last night, it, it's pretty hard to feel pretty good about, you know, about how, how the series ended. It would have been, you know, I, I think that to see if, if you lose and you feel like you played something, you know, played, played a decent game, played, played your played your B game even, you know, it, you, you can accept that a little easier than uh, how really things went off the rails after about the first six minutes and never got back on.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. They hit the post early on that Couturier redirect. And, yeah. and once the Islanders scored, uh, it looked like all of a sudden somebody stuck a, a siphoner in the gas tank and it was empty. I'll tell you, it was weird for me because last night, I didn't feel great about the game going into it yesterday. but And when yeah. it was kind of pretty obvious that they didn't have anything left and they weren't going to put together a competitive effort in that game. Um, maybe it was just because I was busy and I had a ton to do after the game without, you know doing all the podcasts and everything and i i woke up uh, saturday or what is it sunday uh more angry yeah. than i was immediately after the game i'm i'm angrier uh-huh. now as i'm able to kind of think about it and look they put themselves in a situation uh, down 3-1 yeah. and, and a lot of that was like the yeah. game last night self-inflicted so that you know to, it's not an excuse that they they ran out of tank from an emotional standpoint and and i think that's one yeah. of the reasons why it is so hard to come back down 3 games to 1 is You know, finally, the Islanders played last night for their season. They were playing to not go home for the first time. The Flyers had done that two times before, did it in overtime, were able to get away with it. But ultimately, uh, as you said, the Islanders proved out to be the better team in this series. Um, Bill, with with a loss like that at the end, um, and really this series, and and to some extent that Montreal series, it really kind of shined a light on areas of uh, improvement where they need to be improved. Uh, Speed, uh, skill, goal scoring. Because, you know, playoff hockey, uh, you can be the seventh highest scoring team in the NHL in the regular season, but you need that guy that can bury it when things aren't going well. And that that, a slump buster is what I call him. Did it kind of shine a light for you in those areas where they need to improve if they want to be a serious contender moving forward? It did. You know, I I think that to me, though, part of the issue is the
1: players you were counting on to be those guys who could step up i mean look at the regular season that travis connect had if
0: you know
1: you're counting connecting to be one of those guys and you know just just didn't happen for him you know just did not happen for him and you know game seven was a a microcosm of kind of how a lot of his playoff run went um you know you certainly certainly it's nice to have like a when you can whenever you can add another high-end guy but you know the the bottom line is that uh you know, it, it took a long time for for players that you were counting on to be the guys who stepped up, and maybe in a, a game here and a game there they did, like like Claude Giroux in Game Six. But the thing is, is that it can't just be one game, two games when you're in a situ- in those must-win situations. Those same guys have to, and there have to be other candidates to you know to step up as well. And uh, you know, I I do think that you know you can look at the the roster that was put together. And, um, you know, and maybe if maybe if the, you know, if the, the series had happened, uh, you know, back in April and it would have been, you know, or the end of April, maybe it would have been a different picture. If you, you go right in without the interruption, But that's not an excuse. I mean, every team, every team dealt with the pause and, you know, you have to you have to gel at the right time. And, you know, I, I think that there are cer- there are certainly things that were exposed in both series just in terms of you know, you can forecheck the Flyers team. I mean, that, that was made very clear in both mm-hmm. secrets yeah. that, uh, you know, if, when you, when you bring an active forecheck against this Flyers team, they will turn pucks over. They, you know, will, will struggle to get up ice at times. They'll, you know, they'll be their own worst enemies. These are a lot of those kind of self-inflicted. Um, so, you know, I, I do think that those are, those are things that need to be, need to be addressed. But, you know, i by the same token, you know, when, uh, you had, uh, and then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not picking on picking the one player because I think, you know, I think he in particular, I think Matt Niskanen was a guy who, in, you know, when the Flyers were a game away from elimination, stepped up big two straight games, particularly Game Six. He was fantastic in the overtimes, but he had not been himself in the playoffs kind of until real late in that series. You know, guys who you were just say, okay, the, you know, you go in and you have the guys you know you you know you can can count on, and you think or you think you know you can count on. and Then the guy you have the guys you hope. Can step up and i do think the flyers probably maybe still have a few too you know a few too many guys who you hope step up um you know but it, it's uh you know there, there will always be changes during an off season. i think it's easy sometimes to overreact after after a playoff loss and you take a step back um and then, and then you consider things like the salary cap and, and you know whatnot to get into but i i do think that there are further improvements needed to the team so that's uh you know, that's, that's all, that's all fair to question what, what those are, or, or, you know, I guess are things we'll be talking about for over the stretch of the off season.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of questions and avenues of discussion. I just want to, we're going to get to Twitter questions in a second. This is going to be a two part episode of, uh, I got so many questions from people and I I want to get to as many of them as we can. So this is going to be spread over two days in a two part episode. Uh, But Bill, I, I had communicated with the former NHL GM and, um, in regards to these playoffs and and how you kind of assess things. And this was even before, you know, the Flyers were, were in trouble in this series. And this person just said to me, you have to be really careful not to overreact to this playoff because of the unique circumstances. And, you know, I mean, players away from their families, some, uh, some are, are parents with very young kids, some, you know, away from girlfriends, wives, you know, just your own bed, your pets, whatever. Um, everybody's different and handles that kind of situation different. And and many of them were away for upwards of 50 days. Um, So so what they, what what this GM said was you just have to be careful not to overreact um, based on this playoffs and kind of look at everything in total, you know, use the information you got in these playoffs, but you can't overreact to it. So for Chuck Fletcher, it's a really interesting situation. He's got a lot of uh, UFAs on this team. And some guys that uh, obviously't we, we, we don't know yet if they won't be back, but presumably won't he's got a lot of young players on the come um, but but as a byproduct of all that, and you know one of the narratives out there, and you see it on social media, I do as well, is about the leadership of this group now, going into game seven bill um, it was lauded because they they clawed their way back to get into a game seven, and they were resilient, overcame deficits in third periods against a team that's a good lockdown team. And one one in overtime, and the other one in double overtime. Um, but after that effort last night, there comes the there comes the narrative again about leadership. What's your position on the leadership of this team? Well, my position on it is that you know you've
1: when you look at what the team had to deal with at midseason, when you know Oscar Lindblom was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma and that definitely shook the team in the middle of December. I mean, every, everybody has subsequently said it. The team went into a little bit of a tailspin after that, and you can, you can understand it. Emotionally, you know, and I, I think a lot of us who were around the team was like, you know, so, suddenly hockey didn't seem that important for a little bit.
0: Gut punch, you know? yeah.
1: And, yeah, it was definitely definitely a gut punch. And, you know, they, they I mean, in you know, large part by rallying around Oscar Limbaugh, but but rallying around each other as well. I mean, the Flyers, they did finally lose, two consecutive games, which happened to be games three and four of, of the series. But they went from, they went from uh, very early January uh, until game four of the series without losing back-to-back games. And not only did they win 10 in a row after a loss, they, you know, they won them pretty decisively in a lot of cases. Um, and that stretched into the playoffs as well. That stretched into the Montreal series that stretched into game two of the, the Islanders series. So, you know, they found ways to win after losses. And if you want to go back to when's the last time they lost three in a row, you got to go back to right after Christmas. So I think, you know, I I think that takes takes a a measure of leadership in a a broader sense. Um, You know, I think that that you don't want to draw conclusions just based on the small sample. I agree with the GM that you spoke with. On the other hand, you know, this has been the core group for a long time. Um, you know, you still have multiple players. Um, you know, I guess the numbers dwindle, but you still have several that were part of the team as far back as the 2011-2012 season, right? And if you look at the, you know, go go back to then, and and all of them, you know, were significant players. The three guys, I think, are still holdovers. You know, I how are they? How were they in the final games of those series? You know, they they kind of came up, it kind of came up small in the decisive games and, you know, against, I mean, you say, I'll go all the way back. So there, there is some history with those particular players and the actual elimination game of coming up a bit small. And I think that's, you know, I think that that is, that's, that's fair. I mean, you know, I mean, Ellie Al, Vigneault had talked about, you know, you have a chance and opportunity to, to shape your legacy and shape your destiny and you, you know, the Flyers, listen, they, they stepped up and found ways to avoid elimination. I mean, truthfully, the reason why the Flyers didn't get eliminated in game six, Carter Hart was the number one reason for that. I mean, that's been – you know, that's been – that was really one of the positives overall in the postseason. I, I mean, the Flyers might not have won the Montreal series without yeah. so the way the Carter Hart played. So, you know, I, I, do think, I do think it's fair in that regard, that in terms of reeling things back in and getting back to the level, you know, the team – was that uh, you know? I mean, the leadership group does have to take a take a share in that as well. But I think when you look at the big picture of the season, I don't think it was a team that lacked leadership per se. I, I think they are missing certain elements that could help, you know, could help them better stand up to certain matchups in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, problem is that it's very it's very hard, you know, uh, it's very hard to have a team that can that matches well to everybody. You know, the the, the Detroit teams so of the, the mid nineties. One of the few teams that, no matter what kind of team they played in the playoffs, whether it was a speed team or a grinding team or a defensive team or whatever, whatever the series brought, they had guys on the team that were well suited to that type of a series. I mean, that to me has kind of always been the gold standard of what you can have because it, uh, you know, it, it obviously anybody can lose in four out of seven games, and you could run into, you know, a quality opponent. The further you get, the tougher the, the tougher the series are going to get. So. But I do think that the, the Flyers are vulnerable to certain kinds of matchups. Uh, the Islanders were a tough matchup for the Flyers. No question about it. The Islanders have strengths in some areas where the Flyers have weaknesses.
0: Yeah, and, and they're such a big, heavy team. They do wear you down. Yeah, and, precisely and, that, yeah. Precisely
1: yeah and,
0: that. And, and not only that, but the, you know, these, the notion about the Islanders is that they're just so boring, right? <laughs> but um, yeah. if you watch them closely, they're really not. <laughs> they, they have some dynamic offensive yeah. players. Obviously, Barzell. Uh, who had – I mean, he had an okay regular season. I think he had 60 points, but um, he showed how dynamic and how much he can change a game every time he steps on the ice. But Villier, we mentioned Anders Lee and Josh Bailey. and I mean, they got a hard-working fourth line. Um, But, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Let's get to some of these Twitter questions. Dan Marcus tweets in, Bill. He says, here's my question. He says, I'm concerned that our veteran core forward group, uh, Claude Giroux, Jake Voracek, and James Van Riemsdijk are paid like elite forwards, but unfortunately, based on their current production, no longer are. In this new flat cap world, how does Fletcher improve this team? So it's an That's, interesting uh, question. I mean, that is, a, <laughs> yeah. yes, I was going to say. Um, you know, it, it's.
1: Uh, I mean, you do have you do have to look at do you move somebody out from the core group um, because even if you were to free up some cap space and make trades, and you know, you're always putting a puzzle together and you know, who are going to be your power play one guys, for example, right? Um, if you make changes on there, well, you know, then suddenly, you know, you're, you're allocating your resources. You're spending your cap dollars based on what situations, what minutes, and who are your go-to guys. So if you're making changes in uh, who, who, you're, you're, you know, who your go-to guys are going to be, then you do have to think about making some changes. I mean, Claude Giroux has the – he has a no-movement clause. And, you know, I, I mean, they could potentially, you know, and I'm not saying they will, but they, you know, I mean. they Would be the they first time appoint a team has a player. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be. Right, right. So, you know, I mean, it, uh, it's all, you know, it, 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 that, that certainly is possible. Borchek um, to me is a guy who, I don't know, who, who do you replace him with? That's, that's there, you know, I it, it, um, uh, you know, I, I know that when Borchek's you know, is on his game, and he was one of the guys who actually stepped up multiple times during the playoffs. Maybe not so much in, in Game 7 among other players, but, you know, he was, he was one of the guys, again, going back to the Montreal series, the, you know, the three-point game. And, you know, the Flyers ultimately did lose that particular game. But, you know, Vorchek, to me, he's such a hard guy to replace because he's a guy who's both big and skilled. You know, that still comes at a premium, big and, and can plus skate. Skilled, and can skate, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and yeah, big big guys who can skate are, are such a you know are such a premium in the NHL. People have asked how did you know how was Brayden Coburn still in the NHL? The, maybe the end of his career might have a, kind of a spare defenseman now for Tampa Bay. Well, he's a six foot five guy who can really really skate. That'll keep a guy in the league in the league a long long time. That that particular combination is rare to find. You, you'll find one or the other in most cases. Yeah. So and, you know I mean, if you if, yeah,
0: I mean the other definitely. part of this bill is you know. And you just can't. You don't just grab a a guy like uh, Giroud that's making eight point seven or eight and a half million, or and Jake Voracek who's got even more term. I think four years left on his deal, uh, yeah. and James Van Riemsdyk like, who's got three. You don't just put him outside your front door and wait for the milkman to come to take the empty jug. When you trade a guy like that right. too, you also get, no team's going to say, "I'll give you a pick for one of those guys," in a flat salary cap world. Um, right. there's going to have to be an exchange of cap hit. And I guess you're trying right. to just come out a little bit lighter on the other side, but you're, you're probably getting someone else's issue. If they, if you deem one of those guys is your issue, <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're just sure. trading an issue yeah. for another. Oh,
1: exactly. Exactly, and, and maybe you, you save a year of term, you know, maybe, uh, and the other too, when you have a, it's a lot easier to, to eat cap space when the guy's a, a year away from being a free agent. You're, no, no team is going to take off take on significant cap stakes, nor should they. If a guy has three years left, you're not going to take you know you're not going to take three years at fifty percent on on uh, JVR just to get it just to get him out the door. Yeah, and but yeah. then you know, but uh, I mean, other teams have scouts too, right? So you know, it, it it becomes a as you said, it becomes a matter of salary cap matching, and also a matter you know also you can you hope to help yourself someone on a hockey level because otherwise you're just moving dollars around. I don't know if you're helping yourself. Um, you know, I think the flyers will, will add, will try to add some cap spaces here. Um, you know, for example, uh, Justin Braun is a free agent this summer. Um, you know, do they, do they not resign Justin Braun? Um, uh, Tyler Pitlick who's making, you know, an even 1 million maybe you resign him. If, if he'll take a million again, you certainly don't go much higher than that just because of where the cap is at. And listen, to mark, the mark the cap is flat everywhere, but you have you know, you, you have to open space where you can because you have players that are either restricted free agents who have to be resigned and extended. Or you have players that are, are very shortly coming up on that. And, you know, you gotta you gotta figure you gotta figure longer term as well. And then you gotta figure out about players who are either young and developing the Morgan Frost types or, you know, or hopefully uh, on the comeback trail, like, uh, you know, like where's Nolan Patrick fit in for next year? Um, you know, it was, it was really nice that Oscar came back. And I think that uh, given, a, given the same off season that everybody else has in a camp, he'll be back to the player he, player he was before the diagnosis. But, you know, but there's, there's a whole lot, of, whole lot of pieces you got to figure. And you got to figure other young players as well. You know, for example, if you let Tyler Pitlick go, well, is Tanner Lashinsky ready to step in and and bring you similar qualities at a cheaper price? I mean, that's that's a lot, large part of it too. You're filling needs, but you're also, you know, how much are you spending to fulfill those needs? And th- those are all, you know, those are all issues for for Chuck Fletcher to decide. But uh, it, when it when it comes to you know changing pieces around on the core, it's easier said than done in today's league.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, Chuck Fletcher looks at it and he, he's dealing with a 10,000 piece little mini piece puzzle that he has to put together because you got Carter Hart one more year on that ELC and then he's going to be an RFA and he's going to have to get paid. You have to consider those right. elements when, when signing a guy to a contract and if Pitlick goes to right. market, he could likely uh, get more than the million he got here and more term than they could be willing to give as well. So there's a lot of elements to the equation, no doubt. Um, Bill, um, let's go right from that. And, you know, one of the, the hopes uh, for this team to, to take another step forward, um, like you mentioned, is, is a guy like Nolan Patrick and a guy like Oscar Limbaugh being back for a full season and Patrick obviously being healthy enough to play and being able to fulfill some of his potential um, and uh, Sandus Minnesota tweets in. He says, should us fans rely on Nolan Patrick playing next year?
1: Uh, that, that's a – yeah, I mean – Impossible it's, answer, uh, isn't it? <laughs> impossible answer, yeah. Just because, you know, we don't really – I mean, I know, that I know a lot of optimism has been expressed, but, you know, I mean, the issues have lingered for a long time. I, I think you have to have, you know, other contingencies. I mean, honestly – Honestly, to me, one of the interesting things, you know, and it has, it has another component to it as well, which I'll get to in a second, is I, I think next season, Morgan Frost makes a real push for the lineup. But if he makes a real push for the lineup and, um, you know, and Dylan and Patrick is able to play, then you're potentially looking at moving Frost to a wing, which I'm not against. You know, I mean, the Flyers have tried to – or have been – kind of dedicated developing with the center. they think his skill set works best at center. Um, but, you know, your contingency plan, if uh, if Nolan Patrick isn't ready, is okay, you know, is Morgan Frost ready to be a third-line center in the NHL? Uh, then, then otherwise you're looking at, uh, you know, moving Scott Lawton around again or, or trying to get another piece from the outside. So it, it would certainly be – it would certainly solve a lot of issues if uh, if Nolan Patrick is healthy and – you know, takes the next steps in his development after missing a year and not, none of that is guaranteed. So counting on, I mean, I, I think, I think at this point you're,
0: you know, at this point, I would say cautious optimism is about the best you can hope for. Yeah. Counting on maybe just the wrong terminology. Um, Jaden tweeted in Bill and uh, so did Mike Chia and uh, they had very similar questions. So I'll give them to you both. Um, And we're going to dive into this one pretty good. He said, uh, could you, uh, Jaden said, could you see Chuck Fletcher diving into the trade market for guys like Gaudreau or Laine? And Mike said, would you like to see the Flyers pursue a guy like Laine? Not saying it would be an easy trade to pull off, but he's exactly the kind of guy the Flyers need. And his name has popped up in trade rumors. Um, so let's take it uh, first. Let's go to Patrick Laine. Um, he has become a three-zone player um, this this past season, Bill, because when he wasn't scoring, yeah. he was an absolute um, just a net negative and a detriment on the ice, but he, had, he did develop that yeah. part of his game. Um, and, yeah. and he is a guy that his name has been out there and he is an elite goal scorer. He's got, uh, I mean, these guys are hard to find. And while his name is out there, I, I find it would probably be pretty difficult to get him. but that's also a team with a lot of need defensively. Is that a guy yeah. um, that, that would fit the bill and, you know, that you would consider pursuing? Yeah,
1: and as you said, he, you know he, he's picked up a 200 foot game because you know without that I'm very I'm very leery of those kind of players, you know I, I I mean I'm I'm a believer that your your real strength what makes you a contender comes down the middle and then you round out on the wings and with cap dollars being what they are it's hard to do sometimes so you know it, it's um, if you if you can get him he's a legitimate top line guy. So, any, every time you're talking to somebody who's a legitimate first line guy, you know, and if you can make it work without ripping major holes elsewhere, then that I think it's worth, worth talking about. It, it's not an easy trade to pull off, but certainly if you, you know, if you can work something out where you're just not completely mortgaging the future for, you know, for that, and if you can work it out cap wise, then absolutely I would have interest. Every, I know that for the rest of his career, Johnny Gugger's name is going to come up. You know, and he's he's an electrifying player, and and all the rest of that. I don't think Johnny Gujo's what the Flyers need to to make a, a run for the Stanley Cup Finals. In although you know he's also he's also a legitimate first line player. The problem with Gujo is he still has some limitations to his game, and part of it comes from being as small as he is. You know, it was like when as now, now mind you, if he steps up in a in a playoff like Danny Briere does, which, which Goudreau really has yet to do, although he had his best playoff run this year so far in his career, his previous playoff runs had been a little short of expectations. But if he ever were to have a run like that and just get super hot in the playoffs and then you live with whatever deficiencies there were. But I know, I know with Danny, Danny, you know, it wasn't that Danny didn't try defensively. He was just at a disadvantage. He was in mismatches in a lot of cases. So, you know, you're going to have to live with the good and the bad. And if he's not scoring, you know, then there's some negatives there. And when you figure as to, you know, how much those players cost against your cap? I'm just I'm just a little leery because again, to me, your real strength comes from the middle. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll take a two-way guy who scores less. Um, you know, unless unless you're going to tell me, okay, he's going you know, you, you could tell me with a reasonable degree of certainty, you know, he's going to get you 85 to 100 points a year, and you just live with the deficiencies. And I would say, yeah, live with the deficiencies. But I don't know. I I just think that the acquisition cost and the you know, the
0: cap space,
1: type, the cap space. And yeah. And, you know, the system fit and all the rest of that. I don't know that Gujo is the right guy as much as everybody would love to see him come home. And he's an electrifying player, you know, fun to watch and all the rest of that. I don't know that uh, he would be the guy that I would target line a to me, as long as, you know, he just continues building on what he's built on and, you know, still very, very young too. Um, you know, I mean, that would be, that'd be great if you can do it. But I mean, again, all these are easier said than done. Sometimes, sometimes it's the making two lesser moves that uh, ends up beneficial. having a bigger,
0: yeah.
1: more beneficial impact over the course of a season on, on how the pieces fit together. So, you know, the star names are always fun to track, but I, I think that what might be more doable is some, uh, you know, again, some, some lesser names that are out there that, that just fit your needs.
0: Yeah, with Linay being a three-zone player this past season, and Paul Maurice did a good job with him out in Winnipeg. Yep. Um, he, he's not a thirty-goal scorer. He, he might not even be a forty-goal scorer. He's a potential fifty. You know, uh, right? right. And, exactly. I, I mean, he's exactly. a unicorn in, in hockey. There's not many of those guys in today's game. And and then you talk about the release on the power play and 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 every element of it. But but again, uh, those are guys that teams don't like to give up either. So it's like right. you said, it's it's a lot easier said than done. Uh, Bill, I got a bunch of questions here. And obviously in regards to guys being moved and how they reshaped this roster, but uh Andu sports 21 said, what types of moves should be made this off season? He said, I could see any of JVR ghost or Jake potentially moved. Hopefully they re-sign Pitlick. We talked about that, bringing an energy, physical free agent forward. Uh, we kind of talked about JVR. We talked about Jake, but the guy in the middle there is Shane Goss despair um, was not dressed yeah. for a lot of this series. This was not a good matchup for him uh, and the way he plays the game. Um, he obviously dealt with some injuries this past year. He's had an erratic career. Um, he's had extreme highs and uh, some pretty extreme lows. Uh, his value on the market right now, maybe not be what it once was obviously, uh, but he does have a, a semi you know, palatable cap hit and, you know, GMs around this league, um, they saw what he did at his peak and they say, well, I can fix that. And coaches have arrogance and, you know, and they say, I can get the most out of him when the flyers haven't been able to, or it just hasn't worked. But, uh, what's the future of Shane Goss' bear and consider the, the non uh, the, the flat cap part of this equation as well.
1: well. I think that, you know, I have two thoughts as this ghost goes, you know, and listen, you know, I mean, I remember Ghost going back to his first development camp in, in 2012 and uh, Anthony and Joni and I were actually the first people to, to interview him at his, at his first camp. It was the second day of camp and, you know, his, his passing and his, uh, his lateral movement all that it jumped out even then so you know uh, you follow a guy from the beginning and I kind of have a soft spot anyway for for home developed players you know if you, you want to root for those guys and Shane Shane's a good guy anyway all that being said I, I think it may be time for a change of scenery both for cap and just just for you know just for Shane's own good um as a hockey player you know it's been uh he had a great rookie year, a tough second year, a great third year, but the last the – last, not just the last year, but the last two years have been rough. So it's like two, two really good years, three down years total. You know, and you could say only one of the uh, – you know, only one of the last four years is really – because he played his – you know, the, the capabilities that, that, he, that he showed his rookie season. So I think that – I think he's a player who, it, you know, it might be time to move him on. I would not be shocked if he were to, to rebound – someplace else. And I'd be happy for him if he does, because I, again, because I like Shane, but I think he's, he's a guy you can move this off season. As you said, doesn't have a, doesn't have a crazy cap hit. He's, you know, um, he's not not even a full fledged reclamation project. He's just a guy you're, you know, you're hoping bounces back, you know, to a, to a level he's shown before. And if he doesn't, he's, he still can play on somebody's power play. So that, that's a guy you, you know, you could see moved. Uh, we we discussed James Van Enremsike a little bit having having three years left on his term that's a lot you know and and JVR you know last season had he not missed time with an injury probably would have had a thirty goal year um, but you know JVR JVR even though he's you know and JVR I think he actually has worked on being a more complete player I don't consider him a lazy player but he's one of those guys that sometimes that you just don't know what you're going to get out of him, and he tends to be very, very, very streaky. You know, and um, he did did score goals in back-to-back games in the series, but there are there are times where JVR struggles to make any appreciable contribution. You know, he made he did make a couple, you know, underrated plays without the puck, but but at the salary level and at the term, he him to score goals. You know, and I, um, uh, you know, could you move him? You're probably you're probably taking you know, money back. Um, you might, you might be able to get somebody with two years left on their contract rather than three. Um, I don't think you're going to get an expiring contract back for him unless it's a significant talent difference. So, you know, that, that's a guy you might see moved. I think it's again, a little easier said than done uh, both with both with JVR and with ghost. I think that when you're figuring right now as to who you protect in the expansion draft after next season, I think both guys right now would be guys would the uh, on the exposed list, and I think Ghost is the guy who might be
0: claimed. It's very interesting. It's it, that's going to be an interesting dynamic of this offseason season for sure, um, Bill. Uh, this is going to be a two part episode. That's the the Twitter questions, but I want to talk about one thing before we take the uh, the break for this episode and pick it back up on on the next episode. There's two guys that I'm really interested in, um, and and I think that the teams that they play for. Um, are looking for help defensively. And they are also guys that um, kind of fill exactly the need for the Flyers. They're going to bring some speed. They're going to bring some skill, top six players. And the guys that I'm talking about are William Nylander with the Toronto Maple Leafs and Nikolai Ehlers with the Winnipeg Jets. Um, Both teams are in desperate need of defense. We know the Flyers have a deep defensive prospect pool, and uh, they have a lot of guys here uh, with Zamula coming, Cam York who's going back to the University of Michigan – uh, both players are in their fifth year in the league. Their numbers are s- unbelievably similar. Yeah, cap hit for Eilers yeah. is six. Uh, the cap hit for William Nylander is seven and a half. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, each are 24 years of age. They're about 100 days apart in age. Um, they rough their peak seasons. You know, N- Nylander this year in 68 games had 31 goals and, and a big year for him. Eilers has gotten to 29 once, and this year he had 25, and he's got had 25 twice. Um, these are two players that I would be very interested in. And I think that the Flyers, without emptying a cupboard, uh, could uh, make a really good hockey trade with each of, each of those two teams. What do you think of those two players in particular?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think generally speaking, I prefer trading out of conference. Mm-hmm. I, I, have no great desi- I have no great desire to help the Maple Leaf. Yep. Uh, and and they traded with Winnipeg last year yeah. to
0: get the rights to Kevin Hayes.
1: <laughs> right, right. So you know, I mean, given the two, I, I think Eeler's, You know, I, I you know, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, Nielander is a guy with, with all kinds of high end potential. That I, he hasn't really hit it yet. You know, he's a good player. He's you know he's, a, you know he's a good player, and he's playing in the Toronto team that already has, you know, already has three three superstars on it, and Marner, of course, and and Matthews, and Tavares. So he's kind of the number four guy there, who's getting paid like a guy who's you know, you're, you're number two or number three guy. Um, so I don't know. I mean, uh, Nylander is certainly a very talented hockey player between the two. I would probably target dealers and, uh,
0: I would as well, you know,
1: and yeah, so that, that would be that would kind of you know, probably where I would go. Now, you know, if you could work out a hockey trade that makes sense for Nylander and it does mean helping out Toronto meets the needs, you're also meeting some of your own needs too. So, you know, it could be a trade that potentially helps both sides, but I think I think as a team that's in conference that uh, has some very specific flaws and has some very you know well-defined cap needs too. You know, I'm not I'm not been, I'm not too eager to help them out.
0: Yeah, yeah, it'd be, and you don't want uh, some like if you traded like a Cam York and that kind of deal, and watch yeah, Cam York yeah. just turn into this all-world player, and you're seeing them in your conference yeah. all the time for a decade. Uh, that, that it may takes a little more sting you put you ship them off to Winnipeg it's like going to Siberia <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so um two two names I think that'll, that'll be interesting to keep an eye on and, and we know that those Kevin day off and of course Kyle Dubas with the uh the Leafs are going to be some guys that are going to be active this offseason as well because they both uh did not perform up to the standards they had hoped for so um and both of their windows they feel are pretty wide open right now especially uh the Leafs with that you brought up the, those forwards with Marner and uh you know, you, to Matthews, Tavares, but uh, they just need help on the back end. Barry's uh, UFA. Freddie Anderson, there's talking there that he could be – and Dubis has told him now apparently that uh, he's not being shopped, but that doesn't mean he won't be traded because you don't have to be shopped. Somebody has to just call Mickey a deal. <laughs> and we see yeah, Jim Rutherford sure. already, already get active <laughs> with uh, Toronto, uh, albeit overpaying for uh, Kasperi Kapanen in that, in that deal. But, uh, Bill, that's part one of Twitter questions. Great stuff. Uh, I know that uh, everybody is still stung a little bit by maybe not necessarily the fact that they went out in the second round, but the manner in which Game 7 looked and overall how the two rounds of the playoffs looked, where they never really seemed to be able to assert themselves to what we saw in that regular season. And it's it's opened up a lot of question marks, so we'll deal with the questions as we go. Um, Great job on this episode. We'll do it again tomorrow. Thanks for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. And thanks to Bill Meltzer. That is part one. We'll bring you part two coming up on tomorrow's all brand new episode of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez brought to you by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. Supporting our Flyers, Penn Orthopedics creates the ideal care plan with treatment options fueled by our own world-renowned research doing what once seemed impossible so you can too. Another reason why your life is worth Penn Medicine. Learn more at penmedicineorg ortho and give them a follow on Twitter at Penn Medicine. Uh, we'll have another brand new episode. Again, part two of Twitter questions will come up tomorrow. If you're hearing this today, you can hit my Twitter up, and uh, you'll find that tweet on there for the solicitation for questions. And if you post one, uh, Bill Meltzer and I will get to it in tomorrow's episode. Also, just wanted to say a quick thanks to everybody that uh, listens to the podcast and has loyally listened to it, uh, because we started this thing in, I think it was the 29th of January, so basically February. And we launched the, the Flyers Broadcast Network in this particular podcast or show, whatever you call it, and I just want to thank everybody because it quickly rose up the charts, uh, the Apple iTunes charts and the uh, Spotify charts, and I'm happy to report because of all of you guys that listen to Flyers Daily and do so faithfully that it is the number one Flyers podcast. Um, It is performing in the top five in the United States and routinely in the top 20 in uh, Canada, So it is a very well-rated podcast, and that's because you guys have been so loyal to it. You're a part of it, which is, I think, really important because uh, of the correspondence via Twitter questions. Um, I think that's a big element uh, of this podcast and uh, the correspondence that those that have tweeted um, or sent emails as well uh, that you brought to this equation, I think, is a reason why it's been successful. It's been a blast to do. I'm humbled by the success of the podcast and how quickly it happened. I can't wait to build on it further. Um, We're going to keep doing it. It's not going away. Uh, But uh, just wanted to send a quick heartfelt thanks to everybody for their loyalty to this podcast and to this product. And uh, I really appreciate it. The Flyers appreciate it. And uh, we'll continue to strive to bring you great content each and every time uh, that there's an episode for you to consume. So thank you very much. If you have left us a rating and review, thank you. If you haven't left us a rating and review, I would love it if you did. Um, that helps other Flyer fans and other hockey fans find this podcast. So if you go on iTunes or whatever, however you consume your podcast and you can leave a rating or review, uh, I'd be forever in your debt. Uh, everybody, have a great day. Enjoy your afternoon, Labor Day. Enjoy the holiday. And we'll talk to you on tomorrow's episode of Flyers Daily. in the streets, it's up to my ankles. Feet in the streets, it's up to my knees.